Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Alan. Welcome. We're glad that you're here, especially that you would give an hour of your time to hang out with us. We certainly appreciate that. Uh, we do a teaching in series, and we're on a topic. This series we've started three, two weeks ago. It's week three, called Right in the Eye. If you missed one or want to hear it again, it's on our, the audio is on our website. Today's topic is good at looking not looking good. You're all looking good, but that's not what our topic is this morning. It's about good at looking. A uh, little bit of heads up about next week. Next week we're going to talk about Samson. He's probably the most familiar of these judges we've been talking about. And uh, if you've got children, I just want to explain to you this story is a little spicy and you may have to answer some questions afterwards. And if you're children, you've got teenagers, uh, they'll probably love it. And uh, if you've got friends that don't come to church because they think it's boring. Next week, definitely will not be boring. Samson is one of these characters that just did about everything wrong. Can anyone just relate to that? He almost did everything wrong. So that's next week. All right, I'd like to start off this week with a question. Do you really want to be like everybody else? Do you really want to be like everybody else? Or do you really want to be... Average. Now, most of us would say, no, of course not. I don't want to be like everybody else. I don't want to be average. But the reality is, uh, pretty much we are, aren't we? Um, but do you want to have a marriage like everybody else? Do you want to have kids like everybody else? Do you want to have finances like everybody else? The average American is one paycheck away from disaster. Do you want to, to be that way? Do you want to have your morals be dictated or be like, everybody else? Do you want to have the same health issues as everybody else? And we would say, objectively, we'd say, no, I, I, I don't want to be like everybody else. But the truth is, in general, we are. We're just like everybody else. Now, when we think about everybody else, what we usually picture in our mind is something like this. We see everybody else kind of like a beer commercial, right? Everybody's happy, uh, they're all young, not old like me, you know, everybody's young, good-looking, you're all good-looking, but uh, they're all good-looking, uh, no problems, don't seem to even have jobs, or if they have jobs, they must be easy jobs, or part of the time they're just laying around on the beach, having a good time, uh, drinking their beers, or actually um, saluting with beers, <coughs> um, really don't know what's going on, but they just seem to be having a good time, right? Everybody else just seems to be having a good time. But is life really like that? No, of course not. We do have to go to work, and we do get bills in the mail, and our kids get sick, or we get sick, and um, life just isn't that easy, this, not that. And in reality, are those people really that happy? Are the people that you look around you and seem to be happy all the time, are they really that happy? In fact, some of them may be chemically happy, right? Uh, there's little things called, uh, I call them happy pills, that some of you may take, and that's great. If it helps you to be happy. <clears throat> singles. Singles. Ah, singles. Must be tough being single. Uh, girls sometimes are offering their bodies so they have some kind of relationship, and guys are thinking, well, why do I have to... You know, make a commitment to be married when I can have the benefits without the commitment. Uh, single guys, maybe you're looking for the perfect gal and you think that you found her and then after a little time goes by, you find out she's not perfect. Of course, she finds out you're not perfect too. That's another issue, right? And so you're hanging out, waiting for that perfect person. Married people, 
wives, maybe you're concerned about uh, your, your husband being faithful. Maybe some of your girlfriend's husbands aren't faithful. And guys, maybe you're being tempted not to be faithful um, and you wonder if you can get away with it. What would the consequences be? Or would you destroy everything? Uh, teenagers, wow. If you're a parent of teenagers or been a parent of teenagers, how often did you tell your teens, why do you strive so hard to be like everybody else? Four years from now, you're never going to never see those folks again. Now, I have to say, my wife just had her 40th school reunion and she met a lot of girls because she still lives in the same town she graduated. How many of you still live in the same town you graduated from high school in? Anybody? A couple of you. I I didn't, so I had no contact with any of those folks anymore. But it was so important for us, wasn't it, to be be liked, to to fit in. Then you get to college and there's concern about, you know, are you going to graduate? And then if you, when you graduate, you're going to be able to get a job. Now, I think I know the secret to being happy for these folks. You open the beer, you pour the beer, but you never see any of them drink them, right? And for some of you, maybe that's the lesson this morning. Uh, open it, pour it, just don't drink it. But the reality is this. Everybody else takes cues from everybody else, don't they? Is too. We don't want to be too odd, too much of an oddball, do we? So we want to dress too strangely or have too such strange uh, hairstyles or whatever. <clears throat> but if you take your cues from everybody else, you end up being like everybody else. And we said back at the beginning that we probably don't want to be like everybody else. We don't have marriages like everybody else. We don't have kids like everybody else. If you take your cues from everybody else, you'll end up like everybody else. Now, here's part of the problem. When we look at everybody else, what we normally see is the highlights, right? We see the good things that are going on. We see the cars they're driving, the clothes they wear. We see their kids on a good day. We see their spouses on a good day. Uh, We don't have any idea about their finances, but they look like they got it together. Uh, they seem to have nice stuff. There's a lot we don't know. We don't know if that couple is fighting all the time. We don't know if that cup's even having sex anymore, right? Uh, we think they are because they're happy. We don't know if one of them's going to check into an uh, abuse clinic or a drug, drug or alcohol abuse clinic in the next few days or few weeks. We don't know if their kids are going crazy. We just don't know. There's so much we don't know. We don't know if they're one step away from bankruptcy. But we see smiling faces and we think, well, I want to be like them. Now here's the problem. It boils down to this. The difference between what's on the outside and what's on the inside, right? Because especially like here at church, we all come and everybody asks how you're doing. You say fine. We have smiles on our faces, whether our lives are good or not, right? Now, one of the reasons we want you to be in a small group, because in that small group, often you'll be a little more honest, right? Yeah, I am struggling with my spouse. I am struggling with my kids. I am struggling with my finances. Struggling with my help. But most of the time, we don't see that side, the inside, do we? We don't know what scars people have from those choices they've made. We don't know what kind of regrets they have. If they could go back and do it over, what they would do differently. In fact, most of us would agree with this, I think. If you had known that living like that on the outside 
would leave you feeling like this on the inside, you might have made some different choices, right? In fact, I think we all would make some different choices. Nobody told you, did they? You go down this path, you make those decisions, there's these consequences. Or we lie to ourselves and said, yeah, they had those consequences, but I can get, do this without those consequences. And it just seems to work for some people, right? They may not be as ethical as you, but their life seems to be turning out fine. They may not be as moral as you, but their life, they, they just seem to be good. Things be, seem to be working out. Things seem to be going well. <clears throat> and the series, we've been talking about this. You just seem to do what was right in your own eyes, right? Whatever, whatever moral background you have, if you're in church or not, but in church, you got your morals from someplace, from your parents, from your friends, somewhere. And so we all have this struggle, this tension between <laughs> what are morals, wherever they come from, whatever we think in our morals, and what we do. Sometimes we follow them, sometimes we don't. In fact, we abandoned what we suspected was right in our own hearts. We've all had that voice in our head say, don't do that, but we did it. Or you need to do that and say, nah, I don't want to do it. Whether it's, you know, eating a second helping of dessert or drinking a little bit too much or spending too much time on our hobbies, whether it's spending with our kids, whatever it might be. We've all deal with those tensions and that little voice in our head and sometimes we do what it says and sometimes we don't. Now, my question is, do you want to continue doing what seems right in your own eyes? Abandoning some of your moral stances, your sense of right and wrong. Now, the good news is, no matter how long you've gone down this path of not following your conscience, not following your moral standards, you can change. The good news is you have a loving Heavenly Father. I don't know what your father is like. Uh, my father wasn't that great. He wasn't a believer until late in life. Uh, maybe you didn't know your father. Maybe you had a great father. But God is our perfect, put that word on there, perfect heavenly father. So what would the perfect father look like to you? And that's the way God is. And so he never abandons us, no matter how long we've gone down the wrong path, made bad decisions, done the wrong things. And maybe you were in, got in trouble in high school and he came and picked you up. Maybe we even had to make that call from the police station. And uh, they came and picked you up. That's the kind of father God is. Now, we've been in a series from a book in the Bible called the Book of Judges. Let me set up the historical uh, backdrop here a little bit. Some of you haven't been here each week. The Israelites, God's chosen people, uh, were in Egypt for over 400 years in slavery. Now, it's hard to imagine. 400 years, generation after generation, knew no freedom. All they knew was slavery. And all of a sudden, Moses comes along uh, from God's leadership and sets them free. So, slavery, 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 and now all of a sudden, they're free. Mind-boggling. They don't know how to handle it. They don't know what to do. And God gives them the law, the Ten Commandments, saying, okay, this will help you live free. They wander around for 40 years, uh, that generation dies off. <clears throat> Moses dies. And then Joshua is the new leader. And he 
takes them into the promised land. And there's decades of battles and fighting and so forth. Eventually they take possession of the promised land, the nation of Israel today. Now, <clears throat> they didn't wipe out all the people that lived there. This is important as we go forward. So the people that lived there before them are still there. They just are in control or they're ruling over the native, native population. <clears throat> so this goes on, this time, this period where there's no king. Um, God is supposed to be their king. God has given them the laws and they're just supposed to do what God wants them to do. And these judges would come along over this 330 years and, and help from time to time. Now, as we looked at this and as we read through the book of Judges, we see this cycle. And it's repeated time after time. God gives us the law and we decide, well, I know what God wants, but I'm going to do this. All been there. We all done that, right? I know it is right, but I'm going to decide to do wrong. And they would do that and consequently they would end in some kind of disaster. We looked at last week. They were actually controlled by one of those native tribes for eight long years. They suffered in um, a form of slavery. So they disobeyed, disaster would hit, uh, bad things would happen. Then they would cry out to God. And again, God would never abandon them, just like he'll never abandon you. And he would deliver them. And they would promise to never do it again, just like us. And time passes, and what happens? They do it again. But we serve a God that is compassionate, that he never will leave us or forsake us, no matter how many times again we go down that wrong path. But he will not force us either. So he gives us choices. And at times we make wrong choices. So we're going to look at something. Well, we'll look first at the end, end of this book of Judges where the conclusion after 330 years was this. Looking back over the 330 years. In those days, Israel had no king. Well, they had a king, God king, but they had no earthly king. And all the people did what seemed right in their own eyes at the time. And we, two weeks ago, we looked at this horrible story where everybody made these terrible decisions doing what they thought was right in their own eyes. Now, <clears throat> so the Israelites are there in the land and these natives are, are living around them. And what they did, which is often what we do, is they began to copy or to do what everybody else was doing. And of course... It was bad enough culturally or morally, but the worst part for God was the fact that they were doing things, worshiping other gods, idolatry. And as we looked at what they started out as freedom, eventually became something that mastered them. So I had the freedom to sleep with whoever I want, and then we deal with the consequences. I had the freedom to drink whatever I want, and then we have to deal with the consequences. We, we can eat whatever we want, we deal with the consequences. I can do whatever I want, and we have to live the consequences. So what started out as freedom becomes, masters us, becomes slavery. And what we, so easy to start is almost impossible to stop, isn't it? Because it becomes an addiction or something we're dependent upon. So Joshua, knowing human nature, nature of the Israelites, your nature, my nature, he gives them this, this strong appeal. He pleads with them. He warns them about what can happen when we choose not to, to follow God. He told them that God had something special for them. They're God's chosen people. They were supposed to be a light to the other nations, not to be like the other nations. And so the challenge is, 
if we will apply these words, as it was a challenge for the Israelites uh, from Joshua. So reading from Joshua chapter 23, here's Joshua's plea to the people. Don't ally yourself, ally yourself with the survivors of the nations that remain among you. Again, they're living with these other people. They're rubbing shoulders with them. In fact, God's law says you are supposed to be hospitable to them. All right? You're supposed to treat them kindly, but you're not supposed to adopt their culture, their lifestyle, their morals, certainly their religion. So he says, don't live like them, even though you're supposed to be nice to them and live around them. And here it gets pretty severe with this warning. He says, they, these people living around you, if you adapt their culture, they will be a snare and a trap to you, a whip for your backs, and thorny brambles in your eyes. Now that's pretty graphic, right? Can you imagine brambles in your eyes, uh, whips on your back? And so he's saying to him, okay, it's going to look appealing, just like the culture around us looks appealing. Uh, there is, you know, a lure to, te- uh, temptation wouldn't be a temptation if there wasn't something appealing about it. So there's going to be appealing to you. You're going to be tempted to want to do some of the stuff they're doing. But I'm warning you, uh, it's going to turn out to be a trap and a snare, a whip to your back and brambles to your eyes. <clears throat> so he says, instead of looking around you, he says, look up. When this becomes appealing, look up to God and see that as appealing. Now, if we're going to be all, all we're honest, wouldn't we agree that wouldn't it have been good if sometime in your past you could have unseen some things you've seen? And I'm not just talking about bad things or sexual things. Uh, maybe your neighbor, your friend, relative, whatever, bought a new car. And he said, oh, I'll come over and see my new car. Come over and drive me your new car. Now you're perfectly happy with your car at the time. And then you get in the car, and it's so comfortable, and it smells so good, right? New cars. And all of a sudden, now you're no longer contented with the vehicle you had. In fact, you may even go out and buy a car you don't need, maybe you can't afford, just because you saw their new car. Again, if maybe we're honest, uh, wouldn't we wish we had not met some people we met we could unmeet them. We could uncontact them on Facebook or email or so forth. And um, maybe that gal, that, that guy you met in high school or college, and your parents found out or your grandparents found out, and they said, uh-uh, uh-uh, bad idea. And isn't it funny when you're that age, your parents say, no, what do you want to do? That's exactly what you want to do. We think we're smarter than them. It's crazy, isn't it? You get older, you realize your parents are smarter than you, uh, young people. (laughs) But we can't unmeet them, can we? We can't undo it. And Joshua is saying, these become snares and traps. We think it's freedom, but it ultimately does us harm. So he goes on. All right? Gives us a warning. And then he says something Uh, pretty harsh. He says, you will vanish from the good land the Lord your God has given you. You It could all end if you're not careful. Now our problem is, our struggle is this, we think we're going to miss out, right? They thought they were missing out. Hey, Canaanite's got some good things going on there. It looks like fun. I think I would enjoy that. And you know, God's not 
letting me do that. And that looks like something I want to do. And if I don't, I'm going to miss out. And God, maybe you even feel God's trying to keep some good things from you. So we all wrestle with this. Now this is really important. If you drifted away, pay attention for a minute here, okay? We all have to make this decision. And not just once either. In each phase of our life or maybe each, you know, time frame of our lives. Is God really for me? Does God really want what's best for me? Is God going to give me all the good things and not keep any of the good things from me? Or is God keeping something good from me? This is what we all deal with if you're a Jesus follower. And if you're not, maybe this is one reason you're not a Jesus follower. Because you're convinced God's trying to keep something good from you. Now let's go all the way back to the beginning. We have a story in our Bible, beginning called about Adam and Eve. Everybody's heard about Adam and Eve. We might have different thoughts about Adam and Eve. And if you're not a Jesus follower, you may not believe in Adam and Eve. That's okay. But most of us are Jesus followers. And as Jesus followers, we believe in Adam and Eve. Not because necessarily it's in the Bible, but because Jesus talked about Adam and Eve. And as we said often, if you can predict your death and resurrection, we pretty much believe whatever else you're going to tell us, right? And so we believe it. Well, if you go back to that story, it's interesting. It starts with a temptation. Now, what is the temptation, really? God said, hey, there's this one tree over here. Don't eat from it. It's not good for you. And the tempter comes along and says, God is trying to keep something good from you, right? And so if you eat of this fruit, nothing not bad's going to happen. Something good is going to happen. You're going to be able to be like God. And so they ate. They fell for the temptation that God is trying to keep something good from us. I, I always like to think of it this way. Can God be trusted? Can God be trusted to give you what is best? That the best lifestyle for you and I is to obey His commands and do what He says. Can He be trusted? If he, if you, anytime you and I are tempted, it's because we're not quite sure about this, right? We're not quite sure we can trust Him. So then He goes on, Joshua says, throw away the foreign gods that are among you. And for us, it would be throw away anything that comes between you and God or before God or anything you would put before God or some decision you'd make counter to God. It might be some, some moral decision you're making. It might be some financial decision you're making. It may be something you're hiding somewhere in a box or in your computer. Whatever it is. He says, throw it away. Get rid of it. And it's this extreme because this is extremely important. Because again, you could vanish if you don't. So he says, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and then negative thing, positive thing. Yield your hearts to the Lord. For hearts, we, meet, we use the word mind. I'm going to use the word conscience to the Lord. So this is really powerful. What have you yielded your heart, your mind, your conscience to? To God or to everybody around you? So, the kingdom of God is a kingdom of conscience. Meaning, 
I want to see things, God, like you see things. I want to hear God like you hear. I want to see people like you see people, God. I want to feel about people like you feel about people, God. So it comes from the inside out. It's not from everybody around me. I'm going to be like everybody else. Kingdom of God is a kingdom of conscience that comes from the inside out. Or from, you know, what God, the Spirit of God, the conscience, or whatever moral decisions we've made rules us. Now, on the other hand, the kingdom of covet, uh, we're a slide behind. (laughs) The kingdom of covet is a kingdom the outside in. Our path of life is dictated by our senses, what we see, what we hear. Now, let me just ask you a simple question. Objectively, which is a better path of life? Now, sitting here objectively, especially in church, it's easy to say, oh, well, the kingdom of conscience is much better, right? Living my life inside out. And you that are parents, how are you going to teach your kids to live? How did your parents teach you to live? According to people around you or according to whatever moral code or conscience they taught you? So the kingdom of God is a kingdom that from the inside out. Let's be honest. Your regrets and my regrets come from what? Not living according to our conscience, but when we live according to our covet. So let me ask you a simple question then. As Joshua challenged us, have you yielded your heart to the Lord, your God, or your mind, or your conscience, whatever word? So it's conscience versus covet. This is going to be. Have you yielded? Do you trust him? Does he know what's best? Is he trying to keep something good from you? Now, let's finish with this. We'll be be finished here in a few minutes. I'm going to give you some homework. I haven't given you any homework in a while. And this is good homework. It won't take much time and effort. We're going to look at something that David wrote. He was kind of like the first good king that came along. And um, this is kind of encouraging you and I to lead a better life, a better path, all right? When we're struggling with, am I going to do the conscience thing or the covet thing? So what I'd like to challenge you to do is every day, first thing in the morning, if you don't memorize this, you don't have to memorize it. It's on your printed material. To read this, all right? And maybe you're not a Jesus follower. Maybe you don't even believe in God. If you're not, how can it hurt? Can it hurt you anything? Can't hurt, right? So here it is. Let's walk through it real quick, and then we'll let you go. Make me walk along the path of your commands, okay? We all have choices of paths. There's lots of different paths. There's a path of following God and our conscience, and there's other paths. He said, this is where we find happiness, right? And then he says, turn my heart toward your statutes, not toward selfish gain, not doing what's right in my own eyes. I want to get this. I want to do this. This is about me. This is what I want. This is about me being happy. And then, turn your eyes from worthless things and turn your senses away from worthless things and give my life to your word. Seven days. Think you can do that? You can do it longer if you want. But for seven days... Obviously better in the morning than evening, but you might, you know, if you have a time with your kids, you pray with your kids, maybe this is a prayer you can do, do with your kids. Learn to live 
by conscience. Learn to live the kingdom of God. Learn to live from the inside out. Again, next week, Samson. And uh, bring somebody with you. All right? Hope you can join us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. We thank you for Joshua's challenge, not only to Israelites, but to us. And uh, we all have regrets when we didn't listen to our conscience. Uh, we certainly have regrets when we haven't listened to you, God. But we thank you that you're a loving Father. You're compassionate. You never abandon us. You never leave us. You never forsake us. You're always there, not conjoling us, but always there to bring comfort and forgiveness. Uh, God, I want to pray for anybody here that's struggling this morning. Uh, maybe they made some bad decisions. We all have. Um, Help them as they work through that and they process that and uh, deal with the consequences and give us all the courage and the wisdom to do better in the future. Um, If you're not a Jesus follower, we want to offer that opportunity to you to step across that line and accept God's gift, the gift of a loving Father. In Jesus' name, amen.